Well, uh, good morning, uh, everyone. Uh, my name's Jesse. Uh, since I've, uh, I don't do the welcome anymore, I don't say my name as much. And so just, you know, just let you know, yeah, that's me. I'm the weird one. Uh, that that kind of, uh, I'll wave at you and then I'll go for the handshake and then it's a knuckle bump slash with like a doorknob, like jiggle thing. I don't know. I can't, I can't quite figure out how to socialize. If you have your Bible, we are in John chapter six. And so you can follow along in John chapter six. We're kind of continuing some of the hardest parts of John, in, in my opinion, the, the hardest parts. And uh, I just want to, uh, I thought about doing a show of hands, but maybe maybe this isn't the best way to do that. But uh, just imaginary show of hands. I wonder how many people have had just a really negative experience at a church in the past, or know someone who has. I, I don't know. I think I think many of us, most of us, would be able to say either either we experienced that or we know someone who did. And then we hear the stories, and we're like, oh, they did what? Come on, that's not how it's supposed to be. That's not how church is supposed to be. Uh, and, and very often, that story is usually given as a reason why this person is no longer a follower of Jesus or is no longer a Christian or is no longer you know, practicing uh, their faith, something to that effect. Uh, just shake your head, yes, if that resonates with any, any experience you've had in this world. Yeah, shake your head, no, if you're like, Jesse, that's like, I don't know what you're talking about. It's been really peachy, you know. Um, my, my, uh, the first church that I served at, uh, we were there, uh, Ashley, my wife and I were there, uh, for, for many years, uh, six-ish, seven-ish years, something like that. Um, and I, I was young. You have to understand that, uh, I started in youth ministry there. It was my first youth ministry and it was August after graduating high school. So I'm 18 years old in May. I graduate high school in August. I'm a youth pastor in Dallas. And so I'm a young guy going to this church. Uh, I, 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 I studied the Bible and I taught the best that I could, but these men and women that I went to church with uh, really discipled me. It was, it was like like having parents of the faith. Like uh, they were older than me. Uh, I this isn't meant to be braggy. I, I was going to school for Bible, so I knew more Bible than them, but they knew more Jesus than me. They've had just a longer walk with Jesus, and so the the result of that is that I really bonded with these men and women. Uh, really loved them. Really really doubled down in my relationship with them. Fast forward six years, something happened. And um, it was a weird moment. I'm sitting in the back of the church. So if this were the room, I'm in the very, very back. I'm dressed, uh, looking back, I think it was cool at the time, but I was dressed like the Fonz. I don't know why I had a leather jacket on, but it was very distinct. It was a very, very firm memory in my head. Uh, the pastor was to make an announcement that was going to be a sad uh, announcement, but not not really dramatic. It was just sad. He was, he, was, uh, he was stepping down. He was going somewhere else. But the way that he made the announcement came across to some, in one way and others in another way. And something I never thought would happen, happened. Something that should never happen in a church um, happened. And I'm in the back of this room and I have front row seats to everybody's behavior. Everybody, like the gasp of air that came in, everybody looking across the aisle. Now this was a uh, old Southern Baptist church. And so uh, if you notice, we don't have hymnals in the seats. It's not because of the story I'm going to tell you, but it does help uh, that these hymnals and Bibles that were in the seats became projectiles in this church. The announcement became very angry and there was a lot of yelling and blaming and so-and-so wagging a finger at so-and-so and then a Bible goes across the room, and then it was like Jerry Springer stuff. I kid you not. Uh, and I was heartbroken because these 
are men and women that I've learned to love, and it was a momentary lapse of good judgment from several several people. Um, I I marched to the front of the room and uh, I I said some waggy of the finger kind of things like you guys all every one of you know better than this. This is not any way in which Christ would have us act. And I just told everybody to go home. Like we'll handle this later. Just get out of this room and we go. And I share that story to say this, um, uh, not, not to get you know, too, too much into the past. So if you want to know more about it, I'll tell you. Uh, but I share the story to say this, is that that was a moment of heartbreak where I saw people that followed Jesus not act like people who followed Jesus. I saw the church break in a way that was very fractury and very obvious to anybody, both guest and member. And yet I still follow Jesus today. Um, it was a heartbreaking moment, and it's still sad. There's still some sting to it, but it didn't change the fact that I followed Jesus, and, and I was young then. So the question is, is why? Why is it that I can have a bad church experience and still be a follower of Jesus? And here's, here's the reason why. Um, because the way people act don't change whether or not it's true. The way, the way that churches behave or the way that churches take care of each other or don't take care of each other, that's a discussion to be had, but it doesn't change whether or not Jesus was the one sent from God to rescue us as the rescue plan of him. And so for me, if I had to be honest with you, that moment, uh, it didn't, it didn't challenge my faith. It didn't, it didn't rock me. It challenged my faith in humanity, but not in Jesus. Uh, the case is still to be had that it is true. If, if you've had a negative experience in church or you know someone who does, or I don't know, this one's being recorded, hello, first service, uh, that, that one day this ends up in the internet and it falls in someone's lap years from now, uh, and you're like, you know, the reason I don't go to church is because I had a bad experience. That doesn't change whether or not it's true. If Jesus is true, he's worth following regardless of if anybody else is. And if Jesus is false, it doesn't matter if everybody and their grandma is following him. You've got better things to do if Jesus is a liar. And so here's here's what we've been doing with John. Uh, we've been going uh, through trying to get a good look at who Jesus is. In the last few messages, I don't know that I've heard a ton of sermons on. This, this one today, I literally don't think I've heard one single sermon on because it's some of these hard sayings of Jesus. Uh, and so we're going to go through it together. And at the end of the day, the question isn't whether or not I like what he said or if I agree with. The question is, is, is it true? And if it's true, it's worth, it's worth leaning into. If it's false, yeah, you know, walk away from it. But don't, don't play the, the game of like, oh, I'm a follower of Jesus, except those things that I disagree with. Um, yay, this is going to be, everybody's like, oh, I came to the wrong service. No, no, you're in the right one. Uh, let's, we'll, we'll begin in, in verse 41, chapter 6, verse 41. Let me set it up. Uh, if you rewind to the, kind of the beginning of the chapter, uh, Jesus uh, uh, fed 5,000 people uh, with some bread and some fish, a very famous miracle. And at the end of that miracle, they're like, hey, we know who you are. We're going to make you king. We're going to force you to be king. And Jesus says, you got it right about who I am. You got it wrong about what I'm here to do. And so he just kind of departs from them. And so the crowd grows a little bit more, and the crowd goes and chases Jesus down. And when they start asking him questions, they start asking for more signs. But the crowd is growing bigger and bigger. And Jesus said last week, if you were here, that he is the bread of life. Uh, the point that Jesus is making is that he's the only one sent from God. He's the only rescuer that's going to come. And he's the only one who can satisfy our deepest hungers and our deepest thirsts. And they're just sort of, they're wrestling with it. We're going to pick up with their response now. Like, how is it that people who heard Jesus face to face, how did they receive that? 
How do you receive Jesus when he says something that's it's kind of hard? Like that goes against the way my family grew up. That, how do we receive Jesus when he says something difficult? Well, here's what they did, verse 41. So uh, the Jews grumbled about him. That's, that's, that's a very vivid picture. Have you ever been in a room where people grumbled about you? Uh, man, there, there's, there's a sound that grumbling makes. I, I, did, I do this when I teach like all the grumbling passages, and there's a lot of grumbling passages in the Bible. Uh, if I'm teaching to students, I'm like, hey, I would like to hear the room do a, a grumble sound. It's not, it's not like a, a tummy grumble, okay? That's you're hungry and you're ready for lunch, but this is a grumbling, like someone just walked in and you don't like the way they look, you don't like the cut of their jib, whatever that means, uh, and, and you just, as a, as a crowd, you grumble. And so if I did a three count, would you grumble just so that we could experience that together? Three, two, one. <laughs> that's good. That's, that's all right. It's like a sleepy lion in the room, a little, a little purr, and then you just take a nap. That's okay. All right. The children are actually doing uh, Daniel and the lion's den right now. So uh, fun. They, they, just heard, they just heard the kitty cats grumble in here. It says the Jews, the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? So they're grumbling about him. Uh, the people, they hear Jesus and they're going to grumble about him. But specifically what they're grumbling about are two things. One is they don't know if they believe what he said. I am the bread who com- comes down from heaven. And two, they grumble about him because they remember who he was. Now, now, apparently this is near the hometown where Jesus grew up and they know his dad, you know, his earthly dad. They, they probably know Mary. He is in Capernaum at this moment, which is, you know, it's all this one little cluster area. And the reason why they're having a hard time understanding the things that Jesus is saying now, because they saw him when he was a kid. They probably saw him in school. Um, Jesus was perfect all the way through, but I, I too have, uh, like I'll meet a teacher that I had in school and I'm like, I don't remember being in your class, but I should probably apologize for something. If you want to let me know what that is, I will go ahead and apologize because if you see me now and you remember me then, it just doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't always line up. Uh, I think it did always line up with Jesus, but they're confused because how is it that he can claim to come from the Father and yet we saw him helping his dad in the carpentry shop? When, when people grumble about Jesus here, uh, he doesn't just let them grumble and then walk out the back of the room saying, I just, you know, people are talking mean about me and he leaves. He also doesn't, you know, change what he's saying. I, I don't know how many times I've, I've said something, someone doesn't like what I say and I try to like, you know, soften it a little bit. That's more my temptation. It's more of the people pleasing in me. Jesus, he doesn't try to soften it. He doesn't try to hide from it. Jesus looks them in the eye. They're grumbling to themselves over here, and Jesus goes to them uh, and answers them. Verse 43, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. He's kind of repeating some of the things that we looked at last week in the speech before. What he's saying to them is like, hey, listen, you guys don't have to grumble. I'm not forcing you to follow me. Only the people who the Father calls me are going to, calls to me are going to follow me. Nobody's forcing you into this. Uh, if your experience with Christianity was like a, a preacher wagging his finger and saying, you must believe this, that's not really the way Jesus preached his own gospel. Jesus preached his own gospel as, here's the line in the sand, this is the side of truth, choose to come with me or don't. If the Father is calling you, you probably want to cross that line. You're probably leaning in a little bit more. But it's not, I'm, he, doesn't, he doesn't force them. 
We should have, uh, as Christians uh, in America, and this, this may be foreign, I think, in most Christian circles, we, we should have such a confidence in our faith that it's true, that we're not desperate, uh, we're, not, we're not angry when people disagree. Maybe we're let down, but it doesn't change our stance. It doesn't, it doesn't move uh, us away. And so he's, he's continuing his speech. I didn't say this at the beginning. I have a lot that I'm going to read, so I'm going pretty fast. If, you, if you're like, hey, I can't keep up, uh, it's because we have to get to the end of this speech. So verse 45, uh, he's telling them, you know, guys, you should have seen this coming. It was written in the prophets, and they will be taught by God. The prophets said, God's going to teach your people. Why are you confused now that I'm claiming to be the Son of God teaching your people? Everyone has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. You know, Jesus' point here is... Um, Everybody in that room, they're, they're all the Jews, they're, they claim to follow God. They claim to follow Yahweh, but nobody's actually seen God. Nobody knows what God is like. And Jesus is saying, the only reason you even know who God is is because he revealed himself to you. Um, and now he sent his son to represent him. Jesus will say later, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Um, let me, let me kind of lean in a little bit on wherever you are in your kind of your faith walk or maybe your friends are there's a lot of there's a lot of people who are religious they question christianity they're like i'm a little skeptical on christianity but i believe in god i believe that there is a god i follow god it's kind of a, a loose maybe you call a deism or a theism um what is it about god that one believes like how, how do we have any knowledge about who god is Think think about what facts you know about God, um, where you learn them, um, what you what lines in the sand you you know to be true. And and the question I have to ask is, where did you get that information from? Either it just popped in your head, and it's just like I had this thought, I had a dream, I had some bad pizza the last night, and like there was a vision, the room was spinning a little bit, and I just decided God is like this, or God in His sovereignty. Uh, revealed himself. Jesus is making the claim, like, I come from the Father. You, sh- you should know what the Father is like because I'm showing him to you. Your fathers, verse 49, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. <laughs> Jesus is, uh, he's not pulling any punches. Every, all, all your favorite heroes, they ate the manna um, that we've been talking about for a little while and, and they're dead. You've been to their grave sites, you know. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread. He's repeating what he said, uh, what we looked at last week, that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So just to recap, because you and I, we, we, when Jesus talks about his flesh, it's like we've taken enough Lord's suppers, enough communions. Be like, oh, we get it. He, he is, he's describing to them that, that he's going to be the one who satisfies. He's telling them that he's the one that the Father has sent to, to meet their needs, to rescue them. And, and he doesn't pull away from it. He already said it once at the beginning of the chapter. And then in that response, they start grumbling. And in, in response to the grumbling, Jesus doesn't pull the punch. He doesn't change his story. He doesn't soften it in any way. He's just really confident. He doesn't demand that they follow him. You don't see like he's getting angry and just like, why don't you guys like me? Why don't you follow me? He's just, he just repeats it one more time. He repeats it 
one more time. I wonder, just, just as we navigate our own faith and our own following of Jesus, how many times we hear something, it rubs us the wrong way, or a friend hears something, it rubs them the wrong way, and then in questioning it, he just repeats himself one more time. You get the same answer that you got before. Hey, Jesus, how am I supposed to handle this, uh, this problem at work? Well, you know, love your enemies. Uh, forgive those who have wronged you. Uh, right, 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 right. But how am I supposed to handle this problem? Because that's really hard. I want, I want another answer. And he just calmly just repeats himself. Love your enemies. <laughs> forgive those who, who wrong you. Okay, I'll, let me think about that, Jesus. I'll get back to you. You wait a week. And it's like, okay, Jesus, not any better at work. I've tried everything I can think of. Jesus, what am I supposed to do? Love your enemies. Forgive those who wrong you. He just repeats himself. That's been my experience of, of the Christian faith. All the things that he says that I don't like, I'm like, I'll think about that. And when I come back to him, what does he do? Just repeats himself. Uh, when, I, when I was a student pastor here, I would uh, sometimes I would teach on Wednesdays, and then I would fill in, and I would teach up here on Sundays. And I don't know, I didn't know if I said this to everyone, but I pretty much just preached the same thing <laughs> both times. I had like a like a pre-service, I, I practiced it with with your students, and then then I teach the same things here. And and I had some students they they caught it. They're like, hey, I, I already kind of heard that sermon. I knew I knew what you were going to do. It's like, yeah, but it turns out like you know we don't need new truths. Whether whether you're 13 or you're 33 or you're 63, you know what we need. We need to hear the same truth, the one very basic thing that Jesus has taught us, and he just repeats himself to us. And then we either lean into the truth, or we grumble, or we take a step back, like I'll think about it, but he just patiently waits. We're hoping he's going to change his mind. Hey, hey today is Black Friday. You get to hate your enemies and go punch them. No, Jesus never like changes his mind. There's no, there's no uh, uh, deviation from that. I love his, his confidence. So here, here's what happens. Uh, again, I know I'm reading a lot. This isn't every Sunday, but there's a reason why these passages aren't ever taught in Scripture. He hears that they're grumbling. He responds with just basically the same thing that caused them to grumble. And so now, verse 52, they begin to dispute among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They didn't like that line. They didn't like the, the flesh to eat part. So Jesus said to them, I'm, I'm just going to read straight through it. And you guys, if you've taken the Lord's Supper a lot, you're like, I know what that means. But you just imagine if you're hearing this for the first time, you're, you're these people over here are like the flesh to eat thing. I don't know. Like, do we like that? And instead of Jesus letting the argument continue, he just says this. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks of my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread your fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Man, that's kind of dark, right? Jesus, like, not only does he stand confidently, he doesn't do, he, he actually leans into their uncomfortableness and he says some really graphic things. Now, if you follow Jesus, you know, he's like eight chapters away. He ends up explaining what the flesh is and what the blood is, that it's symbolic of this bread and it's symbolic of the wine that he has at the Passover meal, but they're not there yet. Right? So we don't want to hurry up and jump to that. They hear that and they're like, wait a second. 
what are you talking about? And so what did they do? Verse 59, Jesus so he said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. This had to be like high attendance Sunday or Saturday uh, at the synagogue at Capernaum. They just, they did not like what he had to say about flesh and blood. You may hear things that are, you know, Jesus's teachings, Christian thought. And you're just like, that's not the way I was brought up. It's not the way I was raised. That, that sits wrong with me. It doesn't change whether or not it's true. What the question that we have to ask is like, did what he said, is it true? And if they hang out with him, you know, eight more chapters, they're going to find out that he, he, he teaches it. He clarifies it. So in uh, 2009, uh, I had the chance to go to Jerusalem, Israel, kind of traveled around, did a little two-week trip there. It was a, it was a blast. Uh, I, I saw some pictures someone posted just this week, uh, and I was like, I've got to go back. I, I plan to one day go back. We met a, a girl she was young. She was probably 19 or 20 years old, and her name, uh, it escapes me uh, as I'm standing here, uh, but, but she was a, a born a Jew in Israel. That's what you would expect. Uh, she was born a Jew, but she converted to Christianity about six months before we met her. Um, and so we met her in a church service that we were in. It was, uh, it was Sunday, or as they like to call it, the Christian Sabbath. Uh, we were at the Christian Sabbath having, having church service, and this girl comes in who lives in Jerusalem, and we just struck up a conversation with her, and she was telling us, so she says, you know, you know, I follow Jesus because like, I've been taught to look for the Messiah my whole life. And then someone explained to me who Jesus was and what his promises were. And I just, it made sense. It fit like a glove. And so I started following Jesus and we're like, that's amazing. That's like, I wish more people would do that just to consider his words as truth or false and make their stance. And she made her stance. And so we asked her like, so your whole family, did they become Christian? Oh, no. No, my parents are still still Jewish. Oh, how how did they receive you becoming a Christian? And she says, I'm not allowed in my parents' home anymore. I can't I can't go home. My dad doesn't let me in home. And it's not an honor thing. It's not like a you converted to another religion thing. When we asked her, like, what does your dad say? He said, Well, you you converted to the cannibalist uh, religion because they're eating flesh and they're drinking blood. This was in 2009, y'all. Um. I hope, I think, I mean, it was pretty fresh at the time. I hope and think that they've kind of corrected that line of thinking. I hope and think that like their relationship was repaired. But in 2009, the complaint that Jewish father had is the same complaint that the Jewish leaders had when Jesus said it. We think that you've gone off the deep end and Jesus doesn't pull back from it. It's either true or it's not. So you're like, Jesse, where, where are you going with this? All right, hang with me because let's see what happens with these people. Verse 60, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, what's going to happen? Is he going to pull back from it? Is he going to say, oh, guys, you, you misunderstand. Just hang with me eight more chapters and I'll teach this to you. Jesus, knowing that his disciples were grumbling, says this, do not, uh, do you take offense at this? Then what are, uh, what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. And then we get John, uh, the author of John. He really loves to tell us what Judas is about to do. The other gospels are like one of the disciples might follow Judas. All right. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Verse 65, and he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless he is granted him, unless it is granted him by the Father. He says, my words are life. He doesn't pull back from his words. My words are life. 
Jesus' claim, whether it's true or not, whether you are in this room, you're like, I think that it's true, or you're in this room or online, you're like, I don't believe one lick of what you say right now. I don't, I don't believe any of it. Whether you like it or not, Jesus' claim is his words are life. And he doesn't pull away from it. And in the crowd, they're, they're grumbling. The crowd starts to disperse. He just spent the last week with his crowd growing. It grew as, the, as he went into Capernaum. It grew as he fed 5,000 people. And then after he fed the 5,000 people, those people looked for Jesus. They called their friends. More people get in their boats. They're looking for Jesus, and his crowd is growing. And now as he started talking and telling them the truth, one by one, the crowd is shrinking. It's, it, he doesn't change what he says, though. What do we do when we don't like something in the Christian faith? What do we do when it's hard? What do we do when, when we're kind of wrestling? What does it mean to obey Jesus? Oh, I treat that person this way. I forgive him or her for that heinous evil thing that he did. What do we do when it's time to, to give to the needy or to, 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 to step out on faith and do something courageous? When we know that our Lord, as we kind of talked to him, he's telling us to do it. And if we don't like it, do we, do we go with the crowd that's growing and just does the fish sandwich thing? Or do we stay with Jesus when it's hard? Do we stay with Jesus when it, I can't quite make sense of it? We'll hang with him another eight chapters and he'll tell you. Um, do we stay with Jesus? So here's what happens, verse 66. This is the whole point of this message is to get to this part. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. You never see Jesus like, hey, come back, guys. Come on, I'll, I'll do another fish sandwich miracle. Uh, you guys want to see me dance on water? <laughs> you know, he's, not a, he's not a circus clown. It was all to show that he had the authority. And some of them were just like, I, I wanted the fish sandwich. I wanted the miracle. I don't want you. I don't, I don't trust you. So the disciples leave. And so Jesus does this, verse 67. So Jesus said to the 12, he turns to his core group, says, do you want to go away as well? Went from little 12 5,000 to who knows how many people. It's bigger, it's bigger. And now it shrank all the way back down to 12. And he says, are you guys ready to go to? Are you throwing in the towel? In verse 68, uh, I would recommend you highlight or underline the next few verses if you have your Bible here. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where, where are we going to go, Jesus? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You know what Peter doesn't say? Hey, I really know what you're talking about with that flesh and blood thing. They didn't understand, but I got it. I knew it was like a parable. I knew He doesn't. He was as confused as everybody else. His defense, his reason for staying with Jesus is, I've come to believe and I've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. There's nowhere else to go. Where are we going to go? If you find that Jesus is the Holy One of God, it, there's nowhere else to go. He's the only one to run to. He's the only one to put our faith in. He's the only one to, 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 to seek out whenever we're trying to be better parents, better, better spouses. He, he is the one who has the source to satisfy, the power to heal, whether you like any of it or not. Notice, uh, he says, we have believed, and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Belief is, uh, the Greek word is pastuo, it's where we get our word faith from. So we have faith, uh, and we have come to know that word know in Greek is gnosko. It's a very firm no. It's like the kind of know that soldiers have when they've, like, I've seen some stuff, man. You know, like, they, they, they know war different than you and I know war because they gnosko war. And he, he, Peter's saying, 
you know, the more I see you, the more, more I watch how you do things, Jesus, we, we've come to have faith that you are this. Like, I just believe it, but I've, I've seen some stuff, man. I've seen you work. I've seen how you interact with people. You are the Holy One of God. See, some of us, we, we have uh, this, you know, uh, we hear the objections. Like, if Christianity is all faith. It's all, it's, you just believe stuff despite what the evidence says. That's not what Peter said. Peter says that, yeah, I have faith, but I've also seen some stuff, and I've seen the evidence. Like, you're feeding 5,000 people, you turning water into wine, all the signs that he's been showing all the time. He's like, I've just, I've come to know that you have the authority that you were sent by God. And whether he likes what Jesus does at that point is irrelevant. Can, can I tell you something? Uh, every Sunday, uh, my family, we go grocery shopping. I don't know if your family does this. We live in the future, as you do as well. And so because we live in the future, we tend to go grocery shopping with like, we let them do the shopping and then we just pull up with a car and they just throw it in the trunk. It's really great. I don't know if you knew that about the future. I thought we were getting flying cars. It turns out I really like the curbside stuff better. Um, cost of groceries are nuts right now. They, they just go up. And, and I use a, I have a debit card, and I swipe the debit card. And uh, i got to be honest with you. Uh, when I swipe the debit card to pay for my groceries, I really don't like what it does to my bank account. I just I hate it. I, it. It drives me crazy. And it doesn't matter really how much I hate it. It doesn't really matter how much I dislike that my bank account responds to every swipe of that debit card. The truth of the matter is, is that it responds to the swipe of that card. We don't have to like, we don't even have to understand what Jesus is talking about in order for it to be true. The truth does not care what you believe or what our preferences are, but it just happens to be that the truth is, is that he is a loving and merciful God who came not to condemn us, but that those who would believe in him would have eternal life. For God so loved the world, John three sixteen, that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Verse 17, he did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, that the world through him might have life. When Jesus was giving this speech just at the beginning of chapter, or at the end of chapter five, he says, I have the authority to judge mankind and I have the authority to bring life and I'm choosing not to judge. I'm choosing to bring life. And Peter, he hears this claim and he says, where are we going to go? Are you going to leave too, Peter? No, we, there's nowhere else to go. You're, you're the Holy One of God. You're, I've come to believe this. I can't do anything but follow you. I don't even have a choice anymore. It's like, it's like I can't change what I believe. I've seen so much of it. If you hang around Jesus long enough, if you hang around Jesus' people long enough, there's something that happens that you, you don't really get to control your beliefs. Uh, I don't know. That's a whole philosophical. We can talk about fideism later, later if you want. But it turns out we really don't have the ability to change what we believe. But if you hang around enough, it seems to kind of seep in and you... You get to the place where you're just like, I just believe that he's the son of God. I believe that he's the Holy One of God. Dallas Willard, in uh, his book, uh, The Renovation of the Heart, which is on my Tobias. I actually haven't read this book, but I know this quote. He says this. He says, we don't believe something by merely saying we believe it, or even when we believe that we believe it. We believe something when we act as if it were true. Hey, uh, Peter, are you going to follow me or are you going to go away? He's like, I can't, I can't go anywhere. I, I just have to follow you. That's when we knew that he believed because he acted as if it were true. Let me, let me close out and just I just want to challenge you. 
that if you have found that Jesus is the Holy One of God, that's been your experience. You've just come to the conclusion. You've seen the evidence or you've just been following him for a while. Uh, and he's the Holy One of God sent to show you the way to the Father. Make a choice to align your speech and actions to that reality this week. Act as if he is the Holy One of God. Act as if he has the authority over your life that he claims to have. Do and say things that reflect that it's not on your authority, it's on his authority. Treat your enemy the way that Jesus instructs you to treat your enemy. Love uh, someone, anyone. Handle hard conversations. When they're grumbling about you, don't grumble back about them behind their back. Go to them directly and, you know, maybe clear the air. I, I don't know. It, I'm, I'm always, I'm always uh, a little locked up at the end of a message. Like, how am I going to help you apply this? How am I going to help you apply this? I'm not your Jesus. I'm not your Holy Spirit. Um, here's what I know. He's the Holy One of God with immense authority to judge me, but he chooses to bring me life. There's nowhere else I can go. To whom would I go? He's the only true one there is. And as a follower of Jesus, I'm instructed from time to time, little twinges of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts me that I didn't act in a way that was appropriate, and so I should apologize to someone. The Holy Spirit convicts me that I need to step out in boldness and trust Him in this thing. The Holy Spirit guides me into truth and to challenge. I'm never comfortable. I'm never going to arrive. Same is true for you. I'm not your Holy Spirit. But if you found that Jesus is the Holy One of God, then this week... Align your thinking, align your actions, and align your speech to that truth. The crowd grew for Jesus as they did all, as he did all the miracles. They loved the fish sandwiches. Oh man, the fish sandwiches grew. Like you want to grow a church, magic fish sandwiches will do it. The crowd grew and grew and grew. And Jesus says it wasn't about the fish sandwiches. It was about to show you that I'm the one who can bring life. And as he laid on that truth, the crowd that grew started going away. And then the 12 that were remaining says, there's nowhere else for us to go. You are the Holy One of God. Um, that's where I'm at today. I pray that that's where you find yourself, your loved ones who come to mind that you wish would know that. I pray that they would, that through your behaviors, through your actions, that they would see that he's the Holy One of God. The evidence would be such that they would both have faith, believe, but also know, gnosko, like, God, that Jesus is true. There's something real about that. that, that my, my mom, my dad, my aunt, that their life was transformed. And I want to I wanna see that in my life as well. Let me pray for you watch the queue together. Father God, we, um, we come to you uh, with, with thankfulness. Um, you, you've shown us a way, and if you had not sent Jesus, we, we would just be floundering, guessing what our God was like, or even if there is a God. Um, Lord, you sent, you sent the Holy One uh, to bring life. Uh, my experience has been that I've seen so many people just have life uh, as a result of, of following him, have life in their interactions, have life in their friendships, have life in even in their sorrows and griefs when the world was hard, there was still life. Um, Lord, I pray a blessing over these men and women that they would just consider, uh, begin to believe and know that you're the Holy One of God. I pray for our friends and our loved ones that um, our heart breaks for them, Lord, that you would begin to to increase in us a burden to lift them up, to to reach out to them, to check on them. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you would bring more uh, to you, that you'd bring more people uh, to hear your message that would have a growing hunger and an interest in Jesus and would find him to be the bread of life that brings satisfaction. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.